Volume Two, Chapter Four of Bungie Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A message arrived from Father Anselm to say he was ready and waiting their pleasure in the chapel of the nunnery. The carriages were instantly ordered to the door. Rosaline, more dead than alive, was handed into the first and followed by her mother and two sisters. The baron was accompanied by Sir Philip and Edwin in the second. They soon arrived at the chapel, and were met there by the abbess, Madeline, and Agnes de Clifford. Several of the friars and monks also attended. After stopping a few moments to pay and receive the proper compliments, the baron took the trembling hand of his intended bride and led her to the altar. Father Anselm opened his book, and began the awful ceremony, when the whole party were thrown into the utmost consternation by the door which led from the subterranean passage to the castle, being suddenly burst open, and Walter, with a drawn sword in his hand, his eyes flashing fire, followed by Albert, instantly rushed up to the altar, and calling to Father Anselm in a tone of frenzy, bade him desist or proceed at his peril. The hand of Rosaline, he cried, is mine, and mine only. I come to claim my affianced bride, and accursed be the wretch who shall attempt to wrest her from me. The baron sunk down, exclaiming, Again that dreadful spectre! Save me, save me from it! The book dropped from the hands of the venerable priest, and the terrified and astonished Rosaline fainted in the arms of her mother while the countenance of every one assembled was marked with surprise and consternation. But the attitude, the expressive face of Walter, as he stood gazing on the party, caught every eye and excited universal admiration. His dress was scarlet, richly laced. In his hat he wore a plume of white feathers fastened by a clasp of diamonds. His tall, elegant form and fine-turned limbs, presenting a subject for the statuary, which few could copy in a style that would have done justice to the original. Rosaline, for some minutes, remained in a state of total insensibility, but the baron soon recovered sufficient recollection to look around him. His eyes were again fixed on the prisoner, with a look rather of tenderness than displeasure. "'Tell me, youth,' he cried, "'whence comest thou? To whom dost thou belong?' Those features are as familiar to my astonished sight as they were once deeply engraved on my heart. Hadst thou worn any other countenance but that of my once-love Isabella, my sword ere now would have taught thee to respect those sacred rites thou hast so rudely interrupted. But that is the shield which still protects thee, and by some invisible influence withholds my arm from punishing thy daring intrusion." "'Then hesitate no longer, my lord, to execute your proposed vengeance,' said Walter, gracefully bending one knee to the ground, and baring his bosom as if to receive the uplifted sword of the baron. "'Rosaline is mine, and were there ten thousand swords ready to pierce my bosom, I would thus publicly proclaim my right.' "'How? What is the meaning of all this?' said the baron, looking with indignation at the astonished Sir Philip. Truth appears to dwell on the tongue of this youthful stranger. But why have I been thus grossly deceived? Why brought into this sacred place to be made a fool of by a boy and a girl? 
"'You must inquire of that same boy,' replied his friend, "'of whose very honourable pretensions I never heard till this moment. "'Why do you hesitate, my lord? "'Why vent your rage on me when it would be more justly and properly employed "'in punishing a madman who has dared to dispute your claim to the hand of my daughter?' "'His countenance still protects him,' said the baron. "'Order some of your people to take the youth into safe custody "'till this matter can be investigated.' "'Father Anselm now inquired if he might go on with the ceremony. "'Not till I have been heard,' cried Walter. "'Though you tear me piecemeal, shall you proceed.' "'Rosaline had recovered, but she was still surrounded by her female friends.' The voice of Walter operated like a charm. She gently raised her eyes to his face, and begged he would be patient, then addressing her father, entreated he would not permit any one to hurt him. "'I, and I alone,' said the generous maid, "'ought to suffer.' "'My dear Walter,' cried she, "'contend no longer for me. Think not of risking a life which is too precious to be so madly thrown away.' let every circumstance which led to the painful occurrences of this morning be openly and candidly explained, and let us rest our cause on the justice and humanity of the Baron, Father Anselm, and Sir Philip de Morny. I wish not to make my appeal before any other tribunal. The Baron, who now for the first time discovered Albert among the crowd, for the contest had brought all the inhabitants of the nunnery into the chapel, started as if he had seen a spectre, he became more agitated than before, and requested they might return to the castle, then an investigation of this strange business might instantly take place, for his own heart informed him there was some awful mystery to be explained. Albert approached him. "'My lord,' said he, "'till this moment I have supposed you cruel, unjust, and unfeeling. My heart reproaches me for my injustice.' I begin to see through the cloud which has too long enveloped me. I suspect we have been equally deceived, alike in the dupes of artifice and guilt. "'Art thou not Albert?' exclaimed the baron, the confidential servant of the Lady Blanche and the favourite of her brother. "'I am the same unfortunate person, my lord,' replied Albert, "'and am not only ready to account for my being here,' but to give you all the intelligence in my power respecting some very interesting circumstances with which till this moment I never supposed you unacquainted. My dear sir, said he, turning to his agitated master, endeavour to be more composed, for the countenance of Walter was too faithful an index to his mind to enable him to conceal the conflicting passions which tortured his bosom and while his attention was divided in observing the baron and Rosaline, he seemed sinking beneath his own agonizing emotions. Father Anselm, the Lady Abbess, and the two bridemaids were requested to return with the party to the castle. A guard was ordered to take charge of Walter and his servant, but he informed them the order might be countermanded, for being a prisoner, he had requested three gentlemen from the castle to attend him, lest he should subject himself to the suspicion of designing to escape. De Clavering, De Willows, and Camelford were now summoned from the passage, where they had impatiently waited to see how this strange and unaccountable business would terminate. This occasioned further surprise to Sir Philip, who restrained his rising displeasure with only desiring them to take charge of the gentlemen they had chosen to escort, 
and to be ready to appear when called upon. Before Walter left the chapel, he approached the baron and presented him his sword. "'To you, my lord,' said he, "'I am impelled to yield a weapon which never yet was stained with human blood, and at this moment I feel grateful joy it was not aimed against your life. Most ardently do I desire to prove myself deserving of your friendship and worthy of your esteem.' The baron returned his sword and requested him to wear it. "'You have already obtained your wish,' said he, smiling, "'and that I must confess against my inclination. "'But there is something about you speaks a language I find difficult to explain "'and cannot comprehend.' "'Every countenance was brightened up with hope and expectation at this reply of the baron, "'except that of Sir Philip de Morny. "'Even the cold and frigid father Anselm, who in his long seclusion from the world had— as it may naturally be supposed, lost many of those generous and tender feelings which a more unrestrained intercourse with his fellow-creatures would have helped to cherish, seemed animated and enlivened. It was agreed that Walter and his friends, accompanied by Edwin, should return the same way as they had entered, and the rest of the party be conveyed in the carriages. After proper apologies being made to Father Anselm and some of his brethren, for the unnecessary trouble they had so undesignedly occasioned, they returned to the castle. With what different feelings than those they carried with them to the chapel, I must leave my readers to imagine. No sooner were the party assembled in the drawing-room than the baron requested that the young man and his servant might be summoned to give some account of themselves, and to explain their motive for their daring and unprecedented proceedings. At the same time, Observing in the countenance of Sir Philip de Morney indignation, resentment, and disappointment, he addressed him in the following words. I should not, Sir Philip, presume to take the liberty I have now done, did I not, from the nature of our intended connection, consider myself as authorized to act in this castle as if I were in my own. I am afraid some very dark transactions have been carried on, which it is necessary should be investigated and be brought to light. A mysterious cloud hangs over us, which I am impatient to disperse. Woe be to that man who has assisted to deceive me. If you doubt my honour in what has passed between us, retorted Sir Philip, you do me injustice, and I shall, at any time and in any place, be ready to meet you upon whatever terms you please. If my daughter has deceived me, if she has dared to encourage the hopes of an adventurer, a maniac, a traitor, let her remember that her crime will not be her only punishment, nor will the sacrifice of her father's life be a sufficient atonement for the disgrace and dishonor she has entailed on the name of de Morny. Rosaline burst into tears, in which she was joined by every one of her female companions, who trembled lest some dreadful catastrophe should close the heart-rending scenes of this eventful morning. "'It may be happy for us both,' said the no longer haughty baron, whose complicated feelings had produced an instantaneous revolution among his contending passions, "'that at this moment I do not find myself inclined to engage in any farther hostilities, till I am better satisfied the affront and disappointment were intended for me.' If I have been meanly and wilfully deceived, my sword shall revenge me upon those, and those only, who are found guilty, 
and dearly shall they atone for the injustice they have practised therefore till matters are cleared up i am content to be silent on a subject which i hesitate not to declare appears to me inexplicable roseline who would have given the world to have obtained permission to retire during the awful investigation which was going to take place dared not make an attempt to withdraw as she saw by the eyes of her father his rage and indignation were only kept from breaking out by the determined manner and authoritative tone of the baron who did not appear in a humour notwithstanding his language spoke the spirit of peace and candour to put up with any contradiction again he expressed the most restless impatience to be confronted with the parties who had so unaccountably deprived him of his young bride by stopping the marriage ceremony in a few moments the painful suspense was ended by the eager and intrepid entrance of walter the three companions of his enterprise and his humble friend they were desired to be seated walter and albert however continued standing requesting that they might be permitted to do so till they should be acquitted or condemned the baron instantly called upon albert to perform his promise and if he were really the honest man he pretended to be to step forward and without fear or prevarication before the present party inform them who it was he acknowledged as his master and prove the justice of those claims which he had made to the hand of his elected bride and what were his inducements for the preventing of a marriage sanctioned by the lady's own consent and the unequivocal approbation of her parents i am happy my lord replied albert in a firm manly and unembarrassed tone of voice to be thus generously and publicly called upon unpractised in either guilt or deceit and having nothing to fear from my own self-reproaches i hail this moment awful as i own it appears as by far the happiest of my life but before we proceed any farther in this important business i must entreat your lordship to perform an act of tender and atoning justice for which i trust you will find an approving advocate in your own heart and require little farther testimony than the receipt carried in a countenance which you have already confessed has stamped its validity upon every tender feeling of your soul my dear dear sir continued he addressing himself to the trembling walter throw yourself at the feet of the noble baron for as sure as you now live to claim that distinguished honour you are his son his only lawful heir the darling offspring of the lady isabella fitzosborne who to give you life yielded up her own walter in an instant was at the feet of the baron and in another the interested and astonished party saw them locked in each other's arms at the same moment the agitated roseline sunk into those of her mother in a little time every one became more composed and the baron resolutely struggling to acquire a greater degree of firmness in order to obtain farther information exclaimed in a tone of voice that evinced the nature of his feelings you are you must be my son nature at first sight of you asserted her just her powerful claims yes you are that precious gift of my sainted isabella the only pledge of a love that was pure and gentle as her own heart and mind but how where by what cruel policy and unfeeling hand have you thus been long concealed from my sight how prevented from enjoying the advantages of your birthright while i was tortured with the belief 
that death had robbed me of my son. Of all these matters, my lord, Albert can fully inform you, said Walter. He is much better to explain them than I can possibly be, who till this hour did not know I should ever be folded in a father's arms. Yet to me Albert has been a father, a friend, and a guardian. For my sake he has voluntarily buried himself for years in the gloomy and narrow confines of a dungeon. For my sake suffered the punishment of the most atrocious offender without being guilty of a single crime. If you therefore condescend to love and acknowledge me for a son, you will feel for him the affection of a brother. To you, my lord, I am indebted for life. To this, my second father, I owe its preservation. Generous man, cried the enraptured baron, who was charmed at hearing the noble sentiments of his son, come to my arms, and command my power to serve you. Albert would have knelt at his feet, but was prevented by a warm embrace from putting his design into execution. Walter was now seated by the side of his happy father, who, observing that his eye wandered in search of something with anxious tenderness, soon guessed the cause, and instantly rising from his chair, took his hand and led him to the weeping Rosaline, who, smiling through her tears, instantly proved how warmly she participated in the happiness. Walter, though the acknowledged son of Baron Fitzosborne, was still a son of nature. He sunk at her feet, and in the unadulterated language of rapture and affection exclaimed, For a moment like this, who is there who would not suffer years of anguish? Look down, my gentle friend, my benefactress and protecting angel, my first, my last, and only love, and let me in your smiles find a confirmation of my bliss. Let them convince me that all I see and hear is real, for I am almost tempted to think it must be the effects of enchantment, of the delusions of a distempered imagination. Rosaline, no longer awed by the presence of her father, no longer able to conceal the joy which reveled in her bosom, gave him her hand, which he instantly conveyed to his lips. Albert, who carefully watched every change in the countenance of his beloved master, trembled for the consequence of such new and high-wrought feelings, lest they should be attended with danger to a mind which had so recently been sunk in a state of the lowest dejection. With the approbation of the party, who saw the necessity of the design, he prevailed upon him to retire for a few minutes, in order to acquire sufficient fortitude to hear his own story recited with composure. This request being seconded by his father and Rosaline, he immediately complied, leaving the company so much charmed with the whole of his behavior, through the interesting scene we have described, and so captivated with his figure, good sense, and sweetness of manners, that surprise was lost in admiration. As soon as the two friends had withdrawn, for if ever any one deserved the name of friend, that title belonged to the worthy Albert, Sir Philip de Morney approached the baron, and with some little embarrassment congratulated him on the wonderful discovery which had so recently and unexpectedly taken place. He then entered on his own defence with the candour and ease of one who, if he had erred, it proceeded from ignorance. That I have undesignedly been made an agent in the diabolical injustice practised against your son by keeping him confined in this castle. I beg your lordship's pardon and entreat you would use your influence to procure the forgiveness of him whom I have innocently injured. He was brought to this place under a fictitious name, 
and with the false pretense of being at times deranged in his intellects i was told he was the illegitimate offspring of a person inimical to the plans of the government and easily wrought upon by his associates to enter into any schemes which the enemies of his country might throw in his way at the same time it was asserted that he was particularly disliked by a great person in high office all that was required of me was to keep him and his servant in close confinement to suffer no one to see or converse with them and to convey no letters nor messages beyond the walls of the castle this request came from one with whom i looked upon as a respectable character he had previously obtained permission of the noble owner of the castle for the use of its dungeons but who as well as myself must have been led into the practice of so glaring a piece of tyranny by the designs and misrepresentations of those whose interests led them to keep your lordship in ignorance of your son's being alive in justice i ought to inform you that i was ordered to supply them liberally with every necessary accommodation the nature of their situation would admit and was not restricted if i found them quiet and submissive from allowing them some occasional indulgences i take shame to myself when i own that after i had seen them safely lodged in their dungeon and had forbidden any one attempting to go near or hold conversation with them i never visited them more than once concluding they were two dangerous and worthless people who were receiving the reward of their base actions and contenting myself with only making such inquiries as the duties of my situation imposed indeed i thought very little about them and waited with composure for the farther explanation promised by my friend when we met to settle the accounts for their board etc how the youthful prisoner became acquainted with my daughter or by what means he obtained an introduction to her i am at this moment totally ignorant if it can be as well accounted for said father anselm who for some time had remained silent with surprise as you have accounted for the part you were prevailed upon to act i think the most rigid judge will find but little to condemn i have no fears replied the baron but their actions will stand quite as clear the sparkling eyes of my affianced bride are at this moment telling tales of their own beguiling influence and testifying by their intelligent language that i am right in my conjectures no wonder as she conquered the father she should have wounded and rendered the son doubly at captive but here comes the fortunate culprit let us hear his defence before we venture to pronounce whether he is entitled to forgiveness and an honourable acquittal or merits condemnation for daring to fall in love while sentenced to languish in a dungeon rosaline having now shaken off that languor and despondency for which so many days had depressed the generous and active feelings of the gentlest of human minds impelled by justice and the unbounded affection she had long felt for walter exclaimed if every virtue merits reward if every good and engaging quality be entitled to happiness your son my lord will be the happiest of men for to the long list of virtues he inherits from his noble ancestors you will find added all the bounteous gifts which nature could bestow on her most distinguished favorite this artless eulogium was not made without a blush and the rose which blossomed on her cheek gave to her face an expression which in the eyes of the baron exceeded that of the most perfect beauty walter followed by albert now returned to the room come here young man said his father in a tone of gratified affection 
come and prove yourself worthy of the character i have heard given of you by a very lovely historian sit down by me and endeavour to keep your mind free from agitation and your spirits composed while our friend albert gives us the promised narration which is to establish your claim to my name as firmly as your merits and conduct have already done to my regard for though you played me a sly and mortifying trick before i had the happiness of knowing you i find in myself little inclination to resent it take notice however that perhaps i shall not be quite so favourably inclined to execute any deviations in future should a certain young lady be in the case this was spoken in a tone that proved the baron was far from being dissatisfied at having found a rival so long as he had gained a son general congratulations now took place and the merry good-humoured hugh camelford after jumping up and cutting a few capers in the true style of cambrian hilarity declared he could dance a fandango with his grandmother or the toctor round the topmost paddlements of punky castle for he never lifted a happier moment since he was born. Every eye spoke the same language, and de Clavering said, though he dreaded the oyster-shell devocations of a woman's mind, he had a pretty widow in his eye, whom he should entreat to take care of him for life. Sir Philip, with a smile, whispered Lady de Morney, telling her he thought, after all, women catered to best for themselves in the choice of their husbands. For prejudice out of the question, the baron's son was certainly the finest young man he had ever seen. As all the party were impatient to hear the tale Albert had to communicate, he was requested to begin, which he did in the following manner. End of chapter 4, volume 2